Hello and welcome to the Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast. It's nice for a change weather in downtown Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. I have my co-host here today, Dave Anderson, and our producer, William Jeffries. And today we'll be talking about Git workflows. Man, so many Git workflows. But it seems like everybody's always using Gitflow or trunk-based development. Today we'll be getting into more of what we prefer, whether it is Gitflow or trunk driven development and we'll get to some of the pros and cons behind the two yeah i think that trunk-based development is sort of the new kid on the block and i'm kind of excited about it but i think it'd be interesting to get some spirited debate going about pros and cons yeah although if you read trunkbaseddevelopment.com which we'll link in the show notes <laughs> you'll find that trunk-based development is one of the oldest development methods for version control because it doesn't use branching. Yeah. It's and you can be lazy. Just commit to master, push force, no lease. Yeah, no, just put, you can <laughs> create it, do what I do. I have an alias YOLO, which is a git push dash force with the message, and it's like YOLO, and it'll push it straight up, whatever. Let it push to production. I find, I mean, I'm personally a fan of Gitflow because of that very same like reason, as we discussed. At times you're working and you're working on a feature that you don't realize in some way, shape or form that will introduce a bug and like it's sitting in production and then things could go on fire and like, what do you do and how does that, how do you mitigate that with trunk driven development? It's something that I've been curious about. Yeah. So I guess there's a couple of different strategies with that. Like Mm -hmm. you could do a revert commit. Okay. Revert the thing that you just did. You could fix forward. If it's something easy, just go in there, fix it. Okay. Yellow force push. Boom. <laughs> force push for the win, not for the <laughs> loss, right? You got to do it for the win. Right. Yeah. But maybe we should like define a little bit better what we mean by those different different workflows. Because I guess you can... Yeah. They're, they're both using Git. It's the same version control system that... We all know and love. Yep. I think we've all agreed now by 2017 that we all love Git. <laughs> yep. Sorry, like, people who still use SPN. <laughs> <laughs> this conversation's about Git. <laughs> so, Nunez, how would you define Gitflow? All right. So, for Gitflow, you have separate branches. We'll use three branches in this example. Master is currently what's in production. It will reflect all the features that are in production and that is the pipeline that that will preserve all the features that are out and online and live. You then have develop, which is a, a copy of master when it's created. And from develop, you then create other branches called feature branches. So when you add a feature, gets pull requests by whatever system your particular organization follows. And then that feature branch gets merged into develop. You do that many a times until you're ready for release. From the develop branch, you then create a release branch. Make sure that everything runs well in whatever QA testing, automation testing that you have. And when everything is set and done, you can then take that release branch, merge it onto master and develop and tag it. So that you know that, hey, we have this new thing out in production. We'll call this... One five zero tagged, boom, done. Now master 
and develop are the same because they now have the very same things in production. And then from there, you you know that master will always be clean because it doesn't get like merged or rebased often, only when a big feature or a big release has happened. So how do you deal with long-lived feature branches in GitFlow? Like if I have a feature that I'm working on and you know it's bigger than I expected and it's just not ready to go out with the rest of the things that are in the develop branch, how do you work around that? I'm thinking of two different particular situations. One is you can potentially have, I hate that I'm saying this, but you can have a toggle that will allow the develop branch to exist with this feature, but not fully implement it by having the toggle off at that particular point in time. Mm -hmm. Or I've worked on a long lived feature branch where like every night you have to make sure you rebase or merge develop into your feature branch to make sure you're constantly updating. So you're not like in that painful merge back into develop and you get all the code updated in a clean way. But sometimes you want to make sure you can get those feature branches merged in as fast as possible, which is why I would probably wrap things in a toggle state and make sure that it's always off until you're ready to release it. And then you can toggle that uh, particular feature on and then take care of it from there. Can't really think of a third option besides just trying to maintain that long-lived feature branch. That's like one of the most painful things you have to deal with in GitFlow, though. Long-lived feature branches are the worst thing possible. Wow. How do you deal with hotfixes? Oh, so suppose you, in the example I mentioned before, let's say the release had an issue that needs to be fixed before we merge into production. That release, you cut a branch from the release, make the hotfix and merge it back into the release branch. And then all those changes will then be captured when they get merged onto master and develop. But the hotfixes would happen in the when the release branch has been made. So there's like a lot of tracks and trees. I imagine if you Google GitFlow, you'll see the first image in Google Images. You'll see like the little, what looks like Skittles that'll kind of describe the very thing that I was explaining. We'll definitely should drop that in the show notes to kind of help people just click and go. Yep, help them taste the rainbow. Oh yeah, and it's a, there's a lot of dots. <laughs> like I mentioned before, you got mass, you got so develop, you got, you got release, you got hot fix. There's one more I can't really remember at this particular point in time, but that's the way you would handle a hot fix. The hot fix would kind of exist when you're about to release something, so it should be really fast, and then you just merge it back in and then release that, make that the release candidate, and then merge that or rebase it on top of master and develop, and then you're good starting clean. Continue features from there. Mm. What if I told you you never had to rebase along the feature branch again? I, 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 is that possible? <laughs> you know, that's something that is a core tenet of doing trunk-based development is avoiding those long-lived feature branches right. and avoiding that merge process. Yeah, it sounds like something that would be really untenable with a large development team, which is the first thing that I hear people say when I tell them about trunk-based development. But actually, a lot of big companies, including Google, use this with literally thousands of developers all committing to master at the same time. Yeah, I've, I've talked to some developers that have been on teams of 80 plus doing this, which mm -hmm. is not Google. Like Google scale is, is Google scale. But, yeah. You know, 80 is like, I can imagine what 80 developers look like. Interesting. I have a hard time with the GitFlow with like seven. 
<laughs> if I have a branch and then it's constantly being merged, you got to make sure that yeah. your features are in before you merge them into master. We have interesting get etiquette, rather. We have good get etiquette at the client that I'm currently at. One of the features we have is like the squash and merge. So if you have like a million commits and you squash them, it'll automatically squash and merge them onto master. But before you do that, you have to rebase so that it just puts that one commit of your entire feature onto right on top of master, which is great. But even then you have to make sure that your code is up to date and whatnot, which gets really, really hairy with GitFlow. Yeah. I've had problems with migrations with GitFlow because mm. like uh, with Django, like working with rails over the past couple of months has been eye opening because this is not a problem in rails. Rails ah. uses like timestamps for their migrations, but Django is like, this is migration number two. And if I'm like doing a migration over here and I have a long live feature branch and then someone else does a migration over there and they also have migration number two on their feature branch, then which one is really migration number two? Which like, one is two? Oh my God. Yeah. That would, that would hurt. So is that the, is that the benefit of using like trunk driven development where like at that point in time you made a migration and this person made a migration, but if the migration happened and then they merge it onto master, when you pick up that branch from there and you run migration, you will have number three. Yeah. So like the, the strategy with trunk based development would be to do the smallest unit of work possible. So maybe your commit might just be the migration piece of that. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't squash it down with all of the other things related to it. Once you're all done and you're happy with it, you would just, you'd make the migration and then you'd commit it. And then you'd push it to master and then that would deploy and run the migration and then people would rebase and run off of that. It encourages people to write code in a way that's backwards compatible because you have to do things piecemeal because everything has to be broken down into these tiny little snippets. Mm. And I think that actually helps with architecture. It creates an incentive for people to make their code modular and to break things out into new files and new classes and new methods uh, helps to avoid bloat. So by having a big team, all thinking in these small little comparable, like moving parts to ensure that things are backwards compatible, how often are you on GitHub? Like I imagine that would have to change the way you review code amongst developers or get your process into master a lot faster so that you can continue doing the work in these small bite-sized changes. My question is, like, how does that affect the efficiency of doing trunk-driven development with a big team? We just do everything in pairs and there's at least one senior developer in the pair. And so that constitutes code review. If you were coding by yourself, then we would ask for a code review, but we just don't do that. Right. Yeah. So that's one way that you can kind of reduce that overhead just to pull, you know, code review completely out of the process. And then if there is a refactor required, then a refactor is a tiny unit of work that you'll just add to the, the head of the, the repo. Just keep incrementally working towards it. That sounds like a, a episode in itself we would have to get into like pull requests and code reviews and how to get down and dirty on that on the gits and github and whatever hub you guys are using yeah i mean like one of the one of the tricky things about it is that you do need to be like pretty disciplined and have like pretty high level developer maturity in your team 
and also like the tooling needs to be good too because it's really supported by having good like automated checks on your code like the code quality running the tests having a ci pipeline so you can immediately deploy the code and get instant feedback and hopefully having zero downtime deploys so you're not like making all of your stakeholders angry Mm, yeah because you want they they want those changes out fast so yeah make sure right keep up yeah i think facebook calls them trunk tests they're the core tests that you absolutely need to pass and they're all unit tests Mm. so nothing slow and then those run every single time you deploy which is a lot Mm, that's pretty cool so facebook is also using trunk based development i think so now positive that is pretty cool I mean, to know that these big engineering teams are are using trunk-driven development. I mean, just going back to my concern earlier, you have some work, you make a small change, you push it up to master, and then suddenly the website is down. Whoa. Did I do that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good old <laughs> Steve Urkel. Did I do that moment? <laughs> and things are crazy, like hot, like... You have to make sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but you also have to make sure not only is your deploy pipeline like, you know, snappy enough to catch or to get those new features, but to be able to pull them right out as well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely like a little bit of get food that you need to get down on. Like I'd never, I'd never done a revert commit actually when we're doing get flow development before. Right. Like it's, it's very rare that you would need to do that, but right. I've done quite a few of them using trunk based development because you know you, you you put something out there and then you're like okay let's let's not do this right now let's pull this back <laughs> so like yeah. the best way to do it is to instead of rebase against the earlier commit mm. which will screw up everyone's repo you just do a git revert and put a revert commit in there oh interesting yeah you want good monitoring and production you want good alerting as well and you want a really easy system for rollbacks Right. Like one button rollbacks. Okay, guys, the thing it's on fire. <laughs> we need to do something about this. <laughs> but yeah. it does incredible things for your pace of development. Oh, because you're not like caught in the fear of breaking something. Right. If know. it hurts, do it more. Eventually you just get really good at it. Well, and it's like, okay, well, you know, we you can't stop people from occasionally breaking things, so just have that happen more often so that people get better at dealing with it. And then you, you get to the point where, you know, you get automated smoke tests in production and it just immediately rolls back your code if something's wrong. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I like that, that, that saying. You can move fast and break things or you can move slow and break things. But ah. it's not an option. You're right. going to break you, something. You're still going to break things, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> That's the rule, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to break stuff. Just just saying. <laughs> you will break things. Cool. I mean, I, I know one of the things I have that I currently deal with in Gitflow is just the amount of like long, either long-lived feature branches or the, you know, everyone and their mother is pairing or, or working on their own thing that's like 80 different features that are out and then they all get merged back in at some point in time and you have to kind of work together to ensure that's the case. But I see like the benefit in trunk-driven development where things are just broken down into smaller pieces of work 
even smaller than the features themselves, then everyone can then work at a sustainable pace where they can move fast and break things because you will break things. <laughs> yeah. And the nice thing is not having to merge other people's code, like doing that develop branch merge and rebasing on develop. Like that's, that's a pretty painful process sometimes. And like you can get re like merge conflicts on things that you've not worked on. It's someone else's code. And then you're just sitting there staring at the screen. Like what, what is this? Why is it here? I need to like do a git blame. I need to get this guy over here. Like <laughs> what you change this configuration file line over here. What is, is it supposed to delete this or is it supposed to keep it? You know, like it gets tricky. Yeah. I think instead of having a branch that then has to be rebased, the idea is to create a branch by abstraction. That's a phrase they use in trunk based development. I think that makes a lot of sense that in combination with feature flags. Oh, interesting. So do you find yourself merging into master a lot more in trunk-driven development more than GitFlow? I find myself committing directly on to master. Oh, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Oh, this whole time I was thinking about like mm-hmm. branching off, Mm-mm. making the PR, going back to... No, 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 no. None no. of that. No, oh, you just commit right to master. Yeah. Oh, my God. No. Sometimes I'll cut a branch after I like afterwards and then push that up so that I can get CI to run and like show that branch to somebody else or maybe like push it to a staging environment and then be able to come back to it later. But generally in trunk based development, you commit to master. No, like straight (laughs) up, like even right now at the client that I'm at right now, you can't even get push up to develop. It'll say no, like that is not allowed. Yeah. At all. Oh, it's you like, got some hooks. Yeah. No, no, no. It's a, yeah, it's like a Git hook. And it's like, no, like Git, we have it in GitHub where like this branch is not overwritable by regular people. Only admins can do it. So even if you do Git push, develop any change, Git push force, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Stop. So it's so scary <laughs> to hear that you can actually just commit straight to master and trunk driven the. I think I might just do the trunk driven development just so i can like push straight to massive for like um a first world first world anarchist here just making changes straight up onto master oh i like that yeah first world anarchist yeah that i did feel like that in the first week when we switched over from that like because we were we we're not doing like a full git flow model we were just doing feature branches but when we switched over to trunk driven development, like it definitely felt like something was very wrong. <laughs> but then like after like a day or two, then it was like, okay, this is, this is fine. This is, yeah, this is all right. I found myself accidentally shipping things cause we have it set up so that like if you push to master, it automatically deplays. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but we have a good test suite. And yeah. so if I push something that is broken, then i I just make the build red and then I have to fix it. It's kind of embarrassing. Oh, yeah. I imagine. I've heard like people have like alarms when the build goes red or like all sorts of weird things. We don't have any like on this team. There's no shaming, though, if you if the build goes red, it's very supportive. Mm. And what happens is in front of your back, you know, behind your back, there's so much shame. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then you don't even realize like I don't a lot of times I did. I it would not have occurred to me that I could just deploy it already. And having trunk-based development encouraged me to ship code, working code, sooner. Because mm. sometimes you don't need the entire feature. Like, there's some portion of it that's already useful. Right. So I think that for trunk-driven development to be a thing, 
the infrastructure around the actual code base has to be like highly maintainable or like highly like like the structure for um you know having test and having test before it gets pushed and deployed and having ci being able to ensure that everything is good like these things have to be in place even before you can move on to trunk driven development absolutely you need good infrastructure you need a good platform there you go those are the words i was looking for that was <laughs> yeah yeah cool so the conversation we just had right now pertaining to git flow and trunk driven development i hope that there are people out there who have been doing one and want to try the other. I'm actually looking forward to an opportunity where I can use trunk-driven development after being a GitFlow individual. Is there any teacher learns that we have out in the mint? Because I have one, maybe even two. I have a learn. I recently learned that you can schedule maintenance in PagerDuty so that if you're doing load testing or something that is going to intentionally bring your servers down in a way that would normally set off your alerting, you can prevent it from paging someone if it's Ooh. in the middle of the night. Oh, nice. Yeah, they interesting. Have an interface where you can go in and schedule maintenance through the website, and then they also have an API that you can hit, which is cool because then you can set whatever job it is that's going to run that's causing the downtime to trigger the maintenance on PagerDuty and then when it's done and has finished spinning things back up, it can make the call that will start it back up again. Uh, like oh, my books. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So that minimizes the amount of time that your pager duty is turned off for. Mm. And you can even set it up to check and see if things are currently valid and then delay, you know, for like 15 minutes or however long you want before you turn pager duty back on mm. so that you don't get a false alarm when the system is just getting settled. Nice. Again. So I actually have a learn as well recently. So with the state of the JavaScript community, there are so many tools that are great, like Webpack and Babel, that allow you to write the code that you want and not really have to worry about compatibility that much. So I've kind of forgotten that you do need to worry about compatibility when you're writing an embedded script. I recently wanted to use this really slick object.values method to mm. get the values out of an object and then iterate over them using map. Right. It was great. Just this code would look wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, like when I pushed it, I realized that there were errors happening on a mm. lot of the devices and it turned out that that's just not supported at all. Oh my gosh. In Safari. Just oh. no plans for it to be supported in the future. Just not happening. It's just not, it doesn't work at all in Safari. No. Why would they? Why would they plan not to do it? Isn't that in the spec? It's a draft spec right now. So it's a wonderful draft spec, but it's just a draft <laughs> spec right now. <laughs> so don't don't use that. Use keys and index in. There you go. Talking about JavaScript, I think I mentioned before in the past that I've been dabbling in React Native. I kind of stopped, but then jumped back in, and things look a lot cooler now. The way that you can you know spin up a new React Native app is pretty cool and they have this app called expo uh, that you download separately you can have your application running on your machine and when you npm start it gives you a qr code or one of those little barcodes that they mm -hmm. have for the computers and you can scan it with the expo app and when you scan successfully it'll download depending you have to be on the same network 
as your computer or laptop. And when you scan correctly, it'll download the app, build on your phone, and then hot reload any changes that you make on the computer onto your phone. It is insane. It's like so cool to do a React Native work because you can know immediately the minute you save, you see your phone spin build and then boom again no connections no oh, nothing just scan a barcode that's it i was like wow. oh this is cool there's no reason for me to not be building things in react native now. <laughs> this is so cool the uh, feedback loop that you get on errors is just snappy like if you have an error you make the change and you save it and immediately your your phone is already building again the changes that's then awesome you see it something light i'm just trying to figure out how to do the react native so seems to be a little weird like the app doesn't look good at all so i'm trying to figure out what packages i would need to download to make things look nice any forms i have to do but yeah react native is fun i'm trying to see if i could figure out how to make you know that app that i have with my face on it that just yells anytime you click on it that's what i'm trying to do right now so just manipulating sounds on the phone for both android and iphone is pretty cool nice that's the episode ladies and gentlemen i'd like to thank my co-host dave thanks for coming on down and our producer, William, always good having you here. And thank you for listening. Feel free to hit us up on twitter.com slash radio free rabbit. This is the rabbit hole. We'll see you next time.